Trials and tribulations, life can get rough. And through the storm, we'll make it just put your trust in him. No matter what you're going through, I know that I'll never leave you. You feel that you can't take no more. You may think you've seen it all. listening to the Get Happy with Jay podcast. I'm your host, Jatan Woods. Today, we're going to be talking about gentrification. Joining me are my co-hosts, Karen Wilson, and returning guest, Michael Hurt. I have to say a special thanks to you, Michael, because you suggested this topic today. Before we get into the specifics of gentrification, this past week was such an active one, mostly for shenanigans, (laughs) that I briefly want to touch on a couple of things. As you listeners know, I try my best to stay away from politics here on the podcast, but honestly, the political climate is so serious that it can't be ignored. We're right on the precipice of things either turning around for this country or going off the deep end to the point that our very republic is in danger. Democracy is at stake in a very real way. So first, I want to get a take from both of you on the recent Democratic debates. Who did you guys think were the big winners and or losers? In the two nights, we saw a bit of the platforms of the top 20 candidates who are running. So what did you both think? I I think, you know, I'll I'll be honest with you, uh, it's crazy, it's gonna sound, I I didn't see that there was a winner. Um, I don't know when I remember, I don't know if, if in history we've ever had 20 people going you virtual know, her yes for for, for, <laughs> for the top spot at, yeah. at one time mm-hmm. um but i will say it was quite entertaining and what to me the thing i paid attention to was just the different angles they took you know uh a certain person heard that this person said that and then they just went in on that and hung their hat on that and every chance they got they went back to that so yeah i thought it was kind of comical when <laughs> when everybody's trying to to be the global citizen and was trying to speak um, fluently in Spanish, and it was kind of funny because Cory Booker's like, "Oh, we're going here now," and so so Buttigieg <laughs> right, right, started right, it. Right, and then right, he's right, like, right. "Well, you know," answered him right. back because they did have. I think one of the moderators was from Telemundo, so I guess that that's where they went. And then um, I don't know where this Marianne Williamson came from, but I'm like, <laughs> please have a stadium of seats, please. <laughs> Can I use that? Yes. <laughs> Can I use that? Thanks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead. So what do you guys both as, you know, we're all African-Americans, black, whatever you want to call us. What do you guys think of there being so much attention put on the immigration debate and what's going on on the southern border, which is horrible. I want to be the first one to say mm-hmm. those are concentration camps. And it's horrible, but do you think that the black agenda is falling to the wayside because there's so much concentration 
given to the immigration debate and what's going on on the southern border? Yeah. Um, Yes, I would agree with that. I feel like it's a um, distraction tactic because you get so focused on one thing, you don't look at the whole picture. So, um, and that's where... That's where NAACP and black leadership need to be like, hey, excuse me, we're still over here, you know? Yeah. You know, and I, and I think, uh, and, I, and I'll, when you ask that question, the first word that comes to mind is diversion. Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, if, if I can keep people talking about the immigration, um, you know, problem or the crisis, you know, which in my opinion is manufactured, then we don't have to talk about this, this, and this. So what happens is, there's two words that comes to mind, implicit and complicit. So if you are not, you know, telling people, hey, wait, 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 wait. The world is bigger than this. The world is bigger than, you know, this this crisis. We still need to talk about this, this, and this. And then you're implicit. Yeah, my problem is that when you're talking about this from the black perspective, I think we have a real problem with not having a black specific agenda and sticking to it. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm sorry, my heart bleeds for these people, but at the same time, not meaning to sound cold, that's not my battle. We, as black people, we're not immigrants, okay? We're, no. We didn't come here willingly. We're not, we didn't come here swimming across rivers and things like that to get here. We are not immigrants. And for so many, especially the, the black candidates that are running, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I understand you being upset about what's going on on the border. It is hu- inhumane, but I need you to be focused on mm-hmm. more than that. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. you need to be focused on what's going to help the inner city, what's going to help black people in general because we don't all live in the inner city, hello. What are you gonna do that's going to impact our lives? Because there is a big argument as to how our lives were really in a real meaningful way impacted for the positive with eight years of Obama. I mean, if you're being honest, it's like, do do both of you feel like your life was impacted in a great way, either financially or whatever by eight years of Obama, because the flip side, people are saying he was great for the LGBTQ plus Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. with, you know, marriage rights. He was great for immigrants. Hello, DACA. But (laughs) do you feel as black people, he was impactful to you personally? I, I think it was impactful to actually all of us. And, and, and the thing I want to say with that is, you know, I could go so many ways on this, but this is what I want to say. You know, you hear people talking about, well, oh, he was the worst president. And then, you know, and usually that's said by, you know, uh, non-melanin uh, people, melanated people. But then I hear people, black people saying, oh, he didn't really do that, that good of a job. Here's the thing. Okay. He is not your personal banker. Mm-hmm. He's not your personal president. Mm-hmm. So when I kind of flip it a little bit and talk about the guy that's in there right now, AK to the is a 45, he talks about one thing every day, all day. Immigration. That's it. Um, to say he's monolithic is, is a compliment. So, so what I'm saying is that There has never been a president in office that has served everybody's personal needs. So why is it that uh, President Barack Obama gets, you know, 
put in a position where he has to has to be that guy. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I I completely agree with what you're saying. And a lot of people feel like, well, because he was black, he's our he's our personal person. No, the reason he won is because he was the everyman. That's why he won. And I said I can remember when I when he announced Biden as his running mate, and we went to Springfield. Um, I was like, okay, am I going to – because usually I um, feed – we do the feeding at, at, at Word Chapel. So I was supposed to do that that morning. I was like, do I do history or do I go do the feeding? You know, so I, so right, I went and right, saw history. Right, right. But um, just seeing the people that came to Springfield, I mean, busload after busload, all races, everybody. And you had, like, the people from the 60s are like – I mean, my own mother told who who passed away right before he took office. Mm-hmm. Told my sister, she's like, I see something in him. She's like, you should go stuff envelopes for him. You know what I'm saying? Right, That's right, right. why he won. Is because, yeah. and I, I yeah. totally believe that um, some votes from beyond helped him get in. I, you know, I totally believe that. You know, and and and, and even the, and even the thing with that, I, I've even been in conversations with black people about this, and 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 when it gets to you know down to. You know, I don't want to say the heated part of the, the situation, but where we just going back and forth, getting down to the where the, where, the, where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. I'll say, what was he supposed to do for you personally? Mm-hmm. What was he supposed to do for you? So, were you political before he he came in office? I don't want to ask you if you ever voted before he came in office because that's not my business. But uh, that's what I'm prodding. Yeah, and I think there's just so many things that we have to remember during the first two years of his presidency the democrats held the house they held the senate and the presidency and i remember clearly when he was trying to um craft um health care and he wanted to go progressive he did he He wanted to have that public option and he had so many democrats that backstabbed him Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. stifled a lot of the things that he wanted to do so we will never know what all he could have accomplished even more so um than he did because he had his own party that was against him for those first two years and you know they ran away from the health care debate which you know that's a whole other thing but yeah i think that he can be criticized because anybody can but i think if you're going to do that you have Mm -hmm. to look at the totality of what he brought to this country which was a lot of goodness i think about kids that were young and that were born in those eight years they were born and grew up for a significant amount of their life having a black man be president. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Even if he was nothing more than a figurehead, to have that black figurehead for eight years to see that the ceiling was raised or the glass ceiling was was cracked for a lot of people that never in a million years thought that that could happen, yours truly included. I mean, I was still shocked the night he was elected. So yeah, I think it's okay to have some criticism especially right now when you're trying to to decide who you're going to vote for in 2020. I think we're at the point where black people as a whole are more, I hate to even use the term woke because I think it's just (laughs) overused. They beat it to death. Yes, they do. But I think as we are more aware that we do have to have demands and we have to know where these candidates line up. And when we go back to the democratic debates, I agree with you, Michael. I didn't really see 
what I saw as runaway winners. There are people that I was impressed with. I was impressed the first night with Elizabeth Warren, and I was impressed with Julian Castro. (laughs) He was nice. Yeah, he was nice. Yeah. But the second night to have made it be like, oh, who all can attack Joe Biden? I mean, that's low hanging fruit. I mean, he's super easy low, to, like on the yeah, ground, like on the ground. He is so easy to attack. He's got all this history. And yeah, I yeah. have to be honest, some of the things that I have learned about him have been, I don't want to say shocking, because when it comes to politicians, you should never be shocked at what right, they do. Right. But I wasn't even aware of all the shady and racist things that that he did so it's like it's been really eye-opening so i was not impressed with kamala going after biden because like i said that's easy that's an easy way and i was telling karen in the car on the way here i said (laughs) you know how uh (laughs) ironic that she had her little t-shirts with her as a nine-year-old on the front of it ready to sell that night it was just all so just contrived and bizarre and I was telling Karen I need to see some receipts to see you got to prove to me that this sister was bust anywhere yeah her father I would agree her mother was Indian and not just Indian she was Brahmin yes which means uh, in India there is a serious caste system that's that's the thing there are certain levels and what you are born into is what what you're going to be and that's it if your father was a janitor, all you're ever going to be is a janitor. Yeah, and that's it. And it generation after generation. And her mother was the highest echelon, which is the Brahmin caste, and very wealthy. So she comes from a mother that's extremely wealthy, her entire family, generations mm-hmm. and generations mm-hmm. of wealth. Mm-hmm. You have her Jamaican father, who was a professor at Stanford, and you know that came with a hefty salary. Bust. So it's hard for me to believe, first of all, that you were yeah. bust anywhere yeah. where you yeah. could have had a private driver. Right. For all right. we know, she was in boarding school. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I coming from that background... Are we supposed to believe she was even in public school, period? Yeah, I I, I would, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not bu- I'm not buying. I'm not buying. I'm not buying either. I'm not going. Yeah, 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 I'm not going. Completely, completely. I'm not going. But, I, you know, but I think about, you know, going back to um, Joe Biden. You know, here, here's the thing I want to say about him. I'm not a politician. I, you know, pay attention you know, but I'm not a politician. And the thing, the thing, the thing, and this is not in his defense. The thing with Joe is, Joe's been in the game what forty plus years, mm-hmm. as, as you know, forty whole plus years. So he has evolved through decades. So when he was doing certain things, it was okay to do that in that era. Then this era came, and it's okay to do that. That doesn't make it right. But for you, he, he's now considered an old man. So for you to grab him and shake him, you know, and, you know, kind of uh, figuratively kick his cane out from under him, that's low-hanging fruit. What else do you have? Yeah, absolutely. And this is the thing, too, um, and I've said similar comments on the podcast. Judge me by who I am today. I may have made some horrific mistakes 20, 30 years ago. You should look at what is the character of the man today. Now, unfortunately, with Joe Biden, he is unwilling to accept any responsibility for what he did, especially with that horrific 1994 Mm. crime bill. 
Hello, how many tens of thousands? Oh, yeah, with Anita Hill. <laughs> right, the list right, goes right, right. that he was anti-busing. Yeah, it's pretty expensive. So I can't really give him that kind of leeway because yeah, yeah. he is so unapologetic for anything yeah. in his past, which it leads me to believe that you actually feel the same way you right. did back then. Right, 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 right. And right? so and so the thing of it is, and, and, and I'm not a political advisor, but <laughs> if, if I guess I could say in so many words, if I had to advise Joe, I'd say, man, just admit you were an era, a product of that era. Mm-hmm. And that is totally not in compliance with what's going on today. And just move forward. But, yeah, but when, when you, when you, you know, you know, when you just act absolutely get stubborn and say, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't care what you say. Um, I'm not going to apologize for that. That, yeah. That's the difference. I have a problem with that. And in um, even Sean King has denounced John uh, or um, uh, Joe Biden. And okay. I follow him okay. just like I would Roland Martin. I don't know if, what Roland Martin's uh, view is, but I know Sean King has done an op-ed saying we can do so much better than Biden. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and this is why. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I'm just, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, you know, he <laughs> looked so bad in the debate. He did. He I did. mean, he, did. he looked really geriatric. I mean, I, I yeah. hate to say no, no, that. No, 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 he did, he did. But, I mean, it. he looked sad. He looked like he was not ready for the moment. And I'm like, you're a career politician. You were vice president, yeah. senator yeah. for decades. Yeah. yeah. How are you not more prepared? And whoever <laughs> his... And whoever his team is, my lord, do they all need? There, there needs to be a shakeup in the camp. Fired. So. Not that it would, not that it would help my opinion of the man, because right. I think his time right. has passed. Yeah, yeah, he is, he is passe. I would say. <laughs> yeah, okay, we can talk about that for the whole show, but we've got a great topic to discuss. So back to it, which is gentrification. And I found this uh, definition from the Urban Displacement Project. And according to them, gentrification is a process of neighborhood change that includes economic change in a historically disinvested neighborhood by means of real estate investment and new higher income residents moving in, as well as demographic change, not only in terms of income level, but also in terms of changes in the educational level or racial makeup of residents. So first of mm. all, Michael, mm. do you agree with this definition and what do you have to add to it? Wow. And, uh, wow, yeah. gentrification. You know, I only heard this word for the first time probably about eight or nine years ago. Um, I really didn't know what it meant. And I start, you know, looking at it, you know, reading into it and stuff. But I do, to answer your question, I do agree with the definition. But when I was kind of doing some, I guess you could call light studying about this, because I said there's there's so much I don't know about this topic. You know, we, we hear the word gentrification, and I think in, in, a, in a nutshell, people say, yeah, that's where they come in, and then they buy up the, the property in the hood, and they kick us out. Okay, yeah, that's cool. But what I've learned is it's kind of like a they have what they call a direct, and the word is uh, displacement. They have a yes. direct displacement, and that's the word that comes to mind when I hear gentrification. Then they have an indirect. So the direct is where, you know, I'm living in this apartment for, say, eight or nine years, ten years, and then uh, 
my rent is like $1,600. Okay, I'm talking like, you know, Brownstone, New York or something like that. And then I get a letter saying, hey, your lease is up in 30 days. When your lease is up, you, you will be paying $3,000 a month. It's like, just like that. Yeah, just like that. You know, so either you pay or you go, you, you leave. Then that's what they call indirect. Now, this one is kind of more insidious to me. This one is, wow, this one is really sneaky. It's where, let's just say I'm living in this apartment, and then, you know, it's a pretty nice size complex. And there's, sort of, there's a certain string of apartments that are what they call rent-controlled. Okay, so I just happen to be in that apartment. Okay, well, I'm good, you know. They can't raise my rent. Okay, so I, I, I get to stay. So... Then, you know, a little time goes by, and I'm thinking, wow, wow, this is kind of cool. Then you notice your neighbors disappear, you know, the ones mm-hmm. who are not in rent-controlled apartments. They disappear. And then what happens after that is like, wow, that's crazy. I really miss talking to, you know, Miss Sally, like I've known her for 20 years. Then after that, what happens is they begin to erect, you know, boutiques, uh, shops, businesses within the community. And all I can afford to do is window shop because I'm just happy to be paying my rent, mm-hmm. Okay. Then after that, to me, the third tier is where you just say, you know what, I, I just don't fit in here. Everybody I knew, my, my whole social structure has been, you know. Decimated. Just, just disintegrated. Even, even exactly. your, your church. Yeah. Your it's neighborhood exactly. church that exactly. you might have gone, gone to. Because they probably bought all that. All of your friends, yeah. your neighbors, yeah. or even if it's there, if it survives at all. You know, your the the church uh, membership has gone down because yeah. everyone's gone. Yeah. yeah, you look around; no one looks Nobody's like you there. anymore. Nobody's there. No one maybe has your same values. They're <laughs> from a completely you, you different you world. Don't, you don't have anything in common with those people anymore. So what ends up happening is you just end up you fold. You know, and I don't mean that in a, as a quitter, but you just say, I got to get out of here because I lost my social structure 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and you know. So then you leave, and they're like. That's what they want you to do anyway. Yeah. And what I learned in doing research for this, too, is that for the people that are displaced, they're doing more studies about what happens to the people that are displaced. And a lot of times it affects everything. It can even affect their employment because if they are living, say, in the core, the inner Mm -hmm. city, Mm -hmm. and their job is near where they live, Mm -hmm. they might even be able to walk or take a bus to work. Right. And if they've been booted out for economic reasons of the core and they have to say move to a suburban area, sometimes there's not even public transportation. Right. Right. So they can't get back and forth right. to their jobs. Um, it has caused depression they're finding in people yeah. that have been yeah. displaced. Yeah. Um, because when a lot of these people are displaced, you're not displaced together with all the people that you mm. knew and loved. You're mm. all scattered all over right. the place. Right. So your whole uh, support system is gone. It's gone. So it's causing depression. With some people, it's caused health problems. Some people have, you know, committed suicide. So there are just there are real serious impacts to gentrification and what it does to the people that are booted out of these communities. So what do you think about that? Well, I I feel that um, it's been happening in Chicago, it's been happening here in Mm -hmm. Peoria for quite a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, When I moved here 16 years ago, all you know grand prairie was the only thing out there on 91 now right, you right. look at it it's almost like a virtual um wonderland they're, you know with all, further out yeah, yeah going, going further, further out, out and yeah. now they're trying to 
um, you know, connect 91 with uh, Pioneer Park so that they don't even have to get on the highway and stuff. Wow. And and even down here uh, in the 61605 when they redid um, River West, it was my understanding that used to be Warner Homes. Yes. Am I correct? Yes. Okay, so they, they fixed that all up. And then um, I was also told that the, the blueprint was that, um, you know, Back in the day, you used to have all kinds of like grocery stores and dry cleaners and different things down here on MacArthur and and mm -hmm. everything. And then they got rid of all that with the intent to beautify it because this is the corridor to the airport. And then that was like in the 50s and 60s. And now all of a sudden that just kind of, they knocked all the houses down, but they never rebuilt. Mm -hmm. So, right. you know. That's the thing, too, that I learned about gentrification is that often it's confused with revitalization <laughs> and which, honestly, prior to doing this and doing research, I was kind of mixed up in this. I was thinking, oh, you know, gentrification is it's wonderful. It's when people come it's in and they, and they beautify <laughs> an old neighborhood that didn't really yeah, think it about be, it, it be, in yeah, a deeper yeah, level. And, yeah. and I should have because my family lived through a gentrification that you're kind of talking about, Karen, that mm -hmm. took place in the late 70s into the early 80s before we had kind of a crash after Reagan's shenanigans, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. his trickle-down economics that mm -hmm. never trickled down. Mm -hmm. But I remember that my family lived in this corridor between MacArthur Highway in Peoria and all the way over to William Kumpf Boulevard, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where like our civic center is. Those mm -hmm. used to all be like residential streets. Yeah, they And did. people lived there. They did, yeah. And um, yeah, they did. like my mom and my aunts got displaced a couple of times because they were renters, they weren't homeowners. So a couple of different times they got displaced, which it was kind of a boon for them because they got like lump sums of money every time that they were displaced. Yeah. But it was still like, oh, okay, I've got to move out of this place because the city's buying it or whatever. Let me get another house. And then it happened several times. And like Karen said, in that same corridor that I'm talking about, there, there's been some businesses that mm -hmm. have built have been built there. Mm -hmm. Like there's a hotel mm -hmm. and different things. But it has made that corridor sterile. Yeah. It's taken the yeah. culture yeah. out of that area, yeah. and it's affected the entire south side of Peoria yeah. because there's lots of businesses gone. And right now, I think we're experiencing this again because there's a housing project here called Taft Homes, and it is on the river. For all, all of our listeners that aren't from Peoria, Peoria is a river town, and they are trying to revitalize, and they have a lot the riverfront. They've done a lot mm -hmm. in East Peoria to revitalize the riverfront there and they're trying to do it here in Peoria. So they're going to displace all these people that live in this Taft Homes housing project. And it's really been a sad experience listening to people in the community that are like, we don't want those people moving to our neighborhoods. And there was like, you know, talk about like, right. well, where are these people going to go? We're responsible right. for them because it's low right. income housing. Right. So we are experiencing that here. And here also in Peoria, other than the riverfront, they're not, no one's buying in the hood. No. Okay. So no. we're not experiencing that kind of gentrification. Right. It's what Karen talked about. It's going out north, mm -hmm. and they're building mm -hmm. all these fancy new subdivisions mm -hmm. and fancy new shops mm -hmm. and things like that. So the inner city here is right. being choked out 
completely except for the riverfront so wow. what do you got what do you think about michael do you remember that time in the 80s that i'm talking about yes. when all those homes were torn down yes i do remember that you know and i was just sitting here thinking so you know you, again we go back to gentrification you know and we talk about you got gentrification you know which which for all practical purposes um you know uh mid upper class white people you know will purchase in many cases white people will purchase a devalued property you know or area you know which has been disinvested in intentionally intentionally okay disinvested in not divested you know and i told a guy i said disinvested in nothing nothing has gone into that then they move in and they buy it and then they basically they basically um move the the inhabitants that were in there the, the residents out and this is the critical factor this is the the thing that actually to me makes gentrification what it is change the culture yeah that's what it that's the insidious part that's, that's of it. it they change the culture whitewashes out culture because when you're talking about revitalizing an area which cities can do and towns alike you do not have to let these areas become run down right right, right. first of all and a big part of this, and, we, and as we're talking now about what makes neighborhoods susceptible to gentrification, it's the disinvestment that you said. Mm-hmm. And that means that you're in an area that has been pretty much probably taken over by uh, slum landlords, as they call them. Mm-hmm. These people that care nothing about the residents. Mm-hmm. They come in, they buy these cheap properties, do nothing to fix them up, right. rent them out for prices that they shouldn't. Right. And the neighborhoods just get run down because to be honest, when you're renting a property, a lot of people do not have the same respect for a property that you're renting versus one that you're buying. Mm -hmm. There's a pride Mm -hmm. in home ownership. Mm -hmm. And when you have blocks upon blocks upon blocks that are all rental properties Mm -hmm. where people maybe care or maybe not care about that property in part because their landlord's a scumbag that's not doing anything to keep up that property mm-hmm. so therefore why should you yes. to reverse that cities can put more programs in place where you actually help people become homeowners mm-hmm. number one mm-hmm. and number two for the people that do own their homes because like in the south side of Peoria there's a lot of homeowners but a lot of them when you're low income and your house is falling apart, you need basic things done to your home, you don't have the money for it. Mm-hmm. That's where the city could come in, and they do have certain monies to help, they do. you know, if you're yeah. like elderly or whatever, yeah. that they will help you uh, fix up your home. They but do. they could do more of that to build up these neighborhoods, but they don't, and that's intentional. No, no. Well, and then I've been um, trying to uh, educate people or, or post the the idea um i mean both of us are from galesburg and my parents they purchased the land and then built the house that i grew up in and i was like are there any programs over here that help people do that they bulldoze them down and then or they'll sell them sell dilapidated houses for six hundred dollars or whatever but then is there any place where the people can actually own the plot of land and 
and build on it. I mean, it's already zoned as residential because, yeah, the story goes as they paid $2,000 for the lot, $2,000 for the lumber, and then they got all these different people to help them. Well, my dad actually designed the house, and then he got a lady or, or um, a lady that my mom worked with, her husband and sons, did framing. So they did the frame of the house and then um, so on and so forth. They had all the, they had a painting party, like everything. All these people helped them get this house together in 1969. That's mm -hmm. when the house was built. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, so fast forward to 2019, do, and nobody can answer that question as to whether or not they have that. <laughs> well, that is a big part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's lending. And banks do not want to lend to black buyers. Yeah. Prior to 07, mm -hmm. when, we, when the Great Recession began, right. you had predatory lenders who were giving out all these, you know, subprime mortgages to people that couldn't afford them, mostly white people, quite frankly, that couldn't afford them. They were giving out money, money, money. Even then, when these banks were just giving out money to folks, you were still three times likely to get denied a home loan regardless of your credit. Say, for example, if there's a person going for a loan, two people, two families, both same income, both relatively same credit score, right. there's a three-time likely chance that a black family going for a loan is going to be told no. Right. And that's intentional. They want to keep certain people out of home right. ownership right. because that's how you build wealth. Mm -hmm. That's how you yes. move from being poor to the middle class. Right, right. You know, you, you, you can build equity in a home when you're a homeowner. When you're a homeowner, yeah. it opens you up to other lines of credit, mm -hmm. things that you need to be socially mobile things that you need to be able to survive and it's just criminal how these banks right. are allowed to deny people home ownership yeah. i have talked about that so many times that it sickens me and this community alone and this community has really suffered from white flight big time Ooh. and if you don't know what white flight means it simply means <laughs> break it down that white people <laughs> that's right of means and sometimes even not of means are able to move out of these blighted areas yeah. And, and once the white flight has taken place, then even more disinvestment happens yeah. in those communities. And we have so many empty houses in this town. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there's people that work their butt off. And I've said, if you can afford the high cost of rent, mm -hmm. and if you can prove, hey, I have been right. a faithful renter for the last 10 plus right. years, right. then there's no way in heck you should be right. denied a mortgage. Right. Because in the city of Peoria, most of the time, nine times out of 10, if you're able to get a mortgage, mm -hmm. you're paying less for your mortgage than mm -hmm. you would be in rent. And yes. it's just, it's criminal to me, the people that are denied home ownership. And, mm -hmm. it, and it becomes a generational problem because mm -hmm. if your parents didn't own their home, they have nothing to be their, to their you. parents yeah. didn't own their home, yeah. right? They have yeah. nothing to leave to you. <laughs> right, right. But then it instills in you that, well, I can't be a homeowner either. And I talk to, to people, anything. and it's amazing right. how many people I say, um, have you ever thought about buying a home? 
And they'll tell me no. Right. And it's criminal. But yeah. back to your question, Karen, there is one program in particular here in Peoria. I don't really want to advertise it, <laughs> but it does help people to become homeowners. And mm. my sister was a person that went through that program. Yeah. So there are programs like that, but they need it. They need to also be funded better and have yeah, more do. support. Consistency. Consistency. Yeah, it's absolutely about consistency. You know, and the, and the thing with that, I just kind of want to add is. I remember when I was in college, I had to take accounting to graduate. You know, it was like a necessary evil. It wasn't my, my favorite subject. But my professor was a Lebanese guy. And the reason I'm, I'm, I'm you know, saying that particular distinction is because he was speaking from being from Lebanon and being over here. And he just flat out, it was probably five, started off with maybe four to five black people in that class. And it was, it was at Illinois Central College. And he said, let me tell you what happens in neighborhoods. He said, they whitewash the neighborhoods. I had never heard that term. And, and, and he said it, so I'm going to say it. He said, and one of the main ones to do that is Morton. He said, you won't see that many people of color over there. He said, because they take the taxes this way so high that you really, they're not even interested you know, it even moving over there. You know, but but the other thing is there's there's another word that comes to mind when I'm talking about when when I, when I think of gentrification. And the first time I ever saw these two words, <laughs> there used to be a nightclub slash restaurant up on right next door to Tut's Tomb, right across the street from the old Avani's on Main Street, and it was called Boss Hogs. I remember that. I was never the type, you know, really, but I just remember you're going through there, you go down Boral and you pass that. Long story short, you know, Boss Hogs closed. And there was this big, it used to be, I don't know if it was Rembrandt or what it was, but they put this big sign on the outside of the door and it said, Eminent Domain. <coughs> Eminent Domain. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, and let, let me, if I can, let me just read the definition. Eminent domain is the right of the government to expropriate private property for public use with payment of compensation. Now, to me, the operative word is expropriate. Seize, take possession of, acquire, jack. And the thing of it is, I, I have always felt like since this whole gentrification came to the surface mentally for me, that eminent domain <coughs> is a very big part of that. Mm -hmm. It's not just people buying stuff it's it's the government taking your stuff and for what end right for for, for what end exactly <laughs> the 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 end to me is for them to just basically get what they want so it may be for example it may it may be uh there were a couple of houses up there but it was really a you know a couple of businesses a nightclub and that but if you notice a certain restaurant across the street was excluded from that you could throw a rock and hit Boss Hogs. But this restaurant right here was not in included in that. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, what deals are made when they're out on the greens hitting the little white ball. Yeah. And another word that comes to <coughs> mind, too, is redlining. Mm -hmm. And how horrible and and just awful yeah, that is for it. communities. And that's, and that still goes on to where... You know, they discourage you from buying in certain areas, either because you may not be able to afford it, because mm -hmm. like Michael talked about, the taxes being so mm -hmm. outrageous. And that's mm -hmm. another thing that communities can control. They can control 
um, taxes. They can put a limit on how high right. taxes can go right. Right. so that people are able to have the flexibility to move. Mm-hmm. And then that's, that's another weapon to keep people in certain areas. Mm-hmm. It's like because my husband and I, we're looking to buy a different <laughs> home right now, and we have to actually think about Okay, are we going to be able to afford the taxes? And that's sad to have to think about that. <laughs> I, I'm in the process of contesting my taxes as we speak. Wow. Right. And is that a thing? Can you even do that? Oh, you can. Definitely. You can do it. Um, there was a process, um, and, and it's basically a situation where, you know, in a, in a nutshell, you, you, you call the, I think it's the tax assessor's office, and you say, hey, these taxes, I think they're too high. <laughs> And the first thing they ask me for, which they'll probably ask you for, is, okay, can you get me an appraisal of the property? Yeah. See, I already own the home, but you know, not to get too lengthy with it. But when I first moved into home, there was there was there was there's an exemption called a homestead exemption, and I don't know if people know about that. But there was an elderly person living there, so mm-hmm. the taxes were decreased substantially. Yes. But they're like, dude, 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 you're you're relatively young. We got to go back this way. And so mm-hmm. I'm in the process of fighting that because they said there were certain improvements done to the home that was not done. And yeah. so they'll come out and they'll look at the appraisal. But, but yes, yes, I'm contesting. And people need to know that that is very possible. And that's the thing that's kind <laughs> of uh, foul to me is that you can make all these improvements to your right, home thinking, right, oh, you're doing right, such a right. great thing, which you are because you're building equity in your home. And at the same time, Right. If someone comes out and appraises your property after you've done all these great things, then guess what? Your property mm-hmm. taxes are going up because you built this addition <laughs> on, or and you put what, new siding on. This this is what I tell people. I, I had a I had a, 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 a short stick about fifteen years in finance, and the last part of finance I worked in. I was a mortgage originator, so I kind of got to see stuff, appraisals. I got to talk to assessors and and all of that stuff. So this is what I this is what I used to tell people. You know, they come in, they say, "Hey, I want to apply for a refinance," and I say, "For what purpose? I want to improve my home. What do you want to do? I want to put a pool in." <laughs> okay, how much do you want to borrow? Fifty thousand. So this is the first thing I would tell them. I said, "That's fine. We can put the application on." However, you're not going to improve your home dollar for dollar. It does not work like that. It does not work like that. So, so you need to understand that. The other thing you need to understand: there's a such thing as over improving. I was just going to mention that because. Again, that's something that my husband and I have to think about because in the area that we're living, we were kind of somewhat gentrifiers ourselves. When we first, when we moved into our, yeah, to a certain extent, because when we moved into our neighborhood, we were like, wow, you know, we are getting this house dirt cheap. I mean, we couldn't even believe how yeah. cheap the house was. And we were like, yeah, where do I sign? Not knowing that it was kind of a money pit. But, you know, yeah. we yeah, thought, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. worth it. It's so cheap. It's, right. it's going to be worth it for right. us to put, you know, several thousand dollars, tens of thousand dollars into the house. And it was exciting because the time we moved to our neighborhood, not only were we buying, but we saw all these other, at the time, you would have called them like yuppie couples that were yep, coming yep, in yep, and yep, buying. Yep, and yep, yep, yep. they had, it had been like a real drug crime ridden area. Mm-hmm. And they had been kind of booted out mm-hmm. for all these couples mm-hmm. like us to come in mm-hmm. and buy these properties. And so mm-hmm. we were so excited about it. And so <laughs> that was working at first. But fast forward like about five years into owning the home, we noticed that 
the people that bought around the same time we did bailed. And again, it was becoming an area that was, again, mostly like rentals and stuff. And so the values and stuff went down to where even though we've made mass improvements to our home, it's like our home is worth basically nothing Mm -hmm. because the comparables around us, the homes are worth nothing. So we're at the point where we're like halfway done with renovating our house but right now we're like how much more money should we even put mm-hmm. into this property That's a good because question. we're not getting anything back here's the other we thing. will lose our shorts at this point here, here here's the other thing you have to, I, and this is what i used to tell people not so much from a you know just just from from wearing the hat of you know the guy that's actually gonna uh, try to do the mortgage for you this is what i tell people how long are you gonna live there how long do you plan to live? Well, I'm gonna die here. Okay, let's let's let's. Okay, I can see you putting fifty thousand dollars into a thirty thousand dollar house. You know, right? That's what <laughs> that's what you want, and it's not funny, but but I'm just saying these are real scenarios. Or, you know, are you trying to fix this up for your grandchildren? That's different. But if you just can't definitively tell me how long you're gonna be there, or you're gonna pass it on to somebody, I, I, I'm gonna pull you the other way. I'm going to strongly advise you not to do that. Yeah, because really, in hindsight, we should have just forked over more money and bought a different house in a different neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. It is. It's so crystal again, clear. <laughs> so we're in that thing now. It's like, well, we want to keep the property, maybe rent it out, mm-hmm, maybe let mm-hmm, you know my mm-hmm. stepdaughter move into it or something. Right, right, so we're right. gonna have to fix yeah. something. Yeah, still in it, but it's just. It's frustrating because you can't it over-renovate. You, 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 can over, you can definitely over-improve. In fact, a certain, um, I'll say, scenario, I knew of, of a guy that owned a property, and he put, he basically, when he was done, it was in a really nice uh, subdivision, but when he was done, the house was, was worth a quarter of a million dollars. I, I remember because I, I, the, the, the appraisal came across my desk. And here's the thing. The houses, he lived in a cul-de-sac. The houses across the street from him and in their cul-de-sac, the highest one was worth about buck sixty. He was, so he was, I'm going to say, I don't even really get into luck. He was lucky enough. He sold it to some lady that got some million dollar uh, settlement. She paid him (coughs) a quarter for it and he ran. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, oh, he would have been there. He would have been there. And he's lucky because I know yeah. another lady who did the same thing. She bought this house on the cheap, gutted it, redid the house. I yeah. mean, my husband and I, we wish that we were in a position to buy the to house yeah. because yeah. she it, she had just did such a beautiful job. So she was asking three times the amount for her house. Yeah. And the properties around her, like at the time, like where she was living, she was asking close to 200000 well, properties in that neighborhood were selling at max 80. And that's good. So that was probably even, really good. Yeah. So even though her house was gorgeous, yes, I mean, it was basically yes. a new house. She right, right, took right, everything right, right, to right. the studs. Right. So it was worth it. She had a hard time finding a buyer that would even come close. Yeah, and again, yeah. she was a lucky one. Yeah. She found someone that would pay that. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. why am I going to pay like, 198 for your house right. when every house within <laughs> blocks and blocks of here at most are 80. And, and see the thing of it is again not not to get too deep here but what I'm saying is when whenever you go to do a especially refinance 
okay, there's what they call them, comps. They're called comparables. They get mm-hmm. three houses that is as close as they can get to what you're looking to buy. And they'll say, this one is 180, this one is 170, this one is 172, they're, they're within $10,000. Dude, this is 250. <laughs> so do you understand? I remember, and I don't want to, I remember there was a guy who, a young guy, he came to the company that I work for, and he wanted, he, he was really just excited and happy about what he thought he was about to do, and he wanted to buy what they call a dome house. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Basically, it was a house that's actually shaped like a dome, and most of it's underground. We could not find cops. We could not find, so mm-hmm. me being the peon, the minnow in the ocean, it came down from my boss's boss to my boss, and my boss handed it to me. Tell him we can't do it. Oh, he was irate. Yeah. He was like, what do you mean you can't do it? This is a great house. I said, sir, I know it's a great house. But what I'm saying to you, it is about asset value. It is about mm-hmm. collateral. It is about if something happens where you should default on the loan, not saying you are, we have to get our money. Oh, he was hot. Yeah. But it's the, that's the real deal. Yeah, the bank has to know that they're going to be able to, someone else is going to buy that property. It's not a normal dwelling. Right, absolutely. So going back to these vulnerable neighborhoods, Hmm. let's talk about how they can be protected. And we've talked a little bit about it in what the city can do. But I think there's also um, a responsibility to the residents to a certain extent, because I don't Mm -hmm. know about other cities, but especially here in Peoria, we have what's called uh, neighborhood associations. Yes. And yes. it's so important yes. for you, even if you're a renter, I think it's still important for you to participate in these neighborhood associations right. because when you go to these right. meetings and representatives from these meetings are going to be representing you at like mm-hmm. city councils and mm-hmm. stuff, you need to know what's going on in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to to speak up for what's going on in your neighborhood. Go to these city councils and say, hey, our streets are crumbling. We need some investment mm-hmm. into this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. The infrastructure something coming in. sucks. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's in. important for you to be involved and involve yourself in local politics, yep. which is so important. And again, not to beat a dead horse, but to vote. Especially in these local elections, which too many people ignore the yeah, local elections. They, they pass them up. And that's what directly affects your life, yes. holding local officials accountable yeah. for the decisions that they make and how they're treating or mistreating um, your neighborhood. Like, you know, getting in the face of city planners and, and city officials to say, hey, why are you letting such and such go on in these neighborhoods? So do you agree that the residents also have some... I mean, they don't have a lot of say, but you have some say in being an advocate for yourself. Yes. Absolutely. You definitely have to um, stand up for yourself. Be an informed voter. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Do your research. Find out, um, you know, what the candidates' platforms are and what have you. Because at the end of the day, um, local election affects you way more than the presidential um, and so you need to find out what, what, just like you said earlier, what the city council is doing, the mayor, and then, um, you know, get your friends involved too. Uh, there's, there, there is um, uh, power in numbers. So the more people you have that are informed and, and making a decision, the better you will be. 
Yeah, and I also kind of want to add to that. Uh, that is just such a great, great point. And that is that is what I call the third leg. I don't know, maybe it's the second leg of, of gentrification. But to me, when it comes to gentrification, the onus, there is opportunity on both sides of the line. Okay, when you talk about the actual inhabitants, the residents that live within this certain area, you know, there's this phrase that came out some years ago, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, by the block. Okay, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, so this block is just sitting here and, you know, and, and I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and buy real estate, but buy the block. And then on the flip side of that, you you know, there needs to be fair housing laws in place, you know, to prevent unfair, you know, housing, you know, situations like that, you know, and it's kind of like um, it's almost like there are certain uh, entities that have uh, a monopoly on buying real estate. You know what I'm saying? So. They, those laws need to be kicked up, and people people need to understand that no no nobody owes you anything, but it's up to you to educate yourself. You know, mm-hmm. you you live in this you live in this apartment building. You've lived there for fifteen years, and it's up for sale for three thousand dollars. You got say six thousand dollars in the bank. You might want to think about buying that. I think real estate is something everyone should look into because they ain't making no more of it. Right? Yes, absolutely. God ain't making no more is, of that. It is a wonderful thing <laughs> to get into. You start by buying your own home yep. and then look at buying other properties because especially around here, you go to like a property auction or something. Yes. You can get properties yes. dirt cheap. Dirt and cheap. some of them aren't even in that bad of shape. So I say yeah. real estate is one of the best ways for you right. to build personal wealth. It is. It is. And, and, and another thing I, I want to kind of bring out. And there are a lot of people that don't know this, and I don't mean to, I'm not putting myself on the shelf, but what I'm saying is you can buy property by buying, they call it buying someone's taxes. Okay. Yeah. So let's mm-hmm. for a scenario. Uh, your house is worth, I don't know, uh, $50,000. You're so, I don't know what has happened inside of the, you know, inside of the dynamic of the family, but what has happened is your, your back taxes are like going into the second year. Some guy just comes down there and say, how much does he owe? It's like this much, write him a check. And then what happens, I think there's a certain time period where you get to pay that guy back. If you don't, he owns it fair and square. Yeah. That, I mean, it seems slimy, it, it, but other yeah. people are doing but it. It's, but it's, it's, it's legal. Yeah. It's yeah. legal. <laughs> That's the thing. You know, slavery was legal, but it's legal. <laughs> Absolutely. So, <laughs> as we end our discussion for today, we could just go on and on about this forever. Uh, parting remarks about this topic, Michael? I just, Especially from you, since this was your idea. Wow, you know what? I'm just, I don't know. I'm still, I think the coolest thing about this entire topic and a lot of the topics that we talk about is, man, I don't, I don't, I don't know that much about it. I just, I'm just glad that I, I consider myself a student for life and a citizen of the world. So... I'm always in that learning mode. I don't know. I may go home tonight and see something like, what? They, they can actually do that? One other thing I kind of wanted to throw in real quick. Right now, what's really going on within the, I'll say, real estate business uh, or you know, arena is there are companies out there that are actually buying people's homes for cash. And they're online companies. And you just basically take some pictures of your house and you tell them what you think it's worth and you send it to them. And they won't pay you as much as you probably should get, but they're paying cash for that. My question, and this is one of those things that's out there, 
How does that factor into gentrification? Is that well, systematic? Gonna, yeah, yeah, because you have to wonder why they're doing it. And they're doing what it in they, droves. What are they going to do with those they're properties? They're doing it in droves, yeah. Because yeah. you know, if you look deeper, they're probably targeting certain areas. Right. And again, it's a, it goes see, it's into legal. the question of, yeah, it's gentrification legal. is it's, absolutely it's, it's legal. It's legal. And so if, if you're doing it within, that's just like, you know, if I got $200 billion and, and it's legal for me to put, you know, $100 billion in offset, offshore accounts, what have I done wrong? Nothing. And right. my high-priced attorney that's charging me $3,500 an hour is going to speak for me, and I'm going to win. It's money <laughs> <Absolutely>. talks. <laughs> well, thank you both, as usual, for joining me on yes, the yes, show. Yes. And I, you know, hopefully you listeners stuck in for this entire hour plus, because this has been a really informative discussion. Like Absolutely. I said, I learned so much about Same gentrification here. because I had really <laughs> false notions about what it was. So I appreciate learning and so i hope you listeners have as well and please as always we encourage you guys to join our conversation you can always send us a comment on our facebook page get happy with jay you can leave a comment on the website gethappywithjay.com let us know what you think if there are other topics of interest we will pretty much talk about anything. <laughs> yes, we will. Yeah, and, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll talk about anything, whether whether yes. we know what we're talking about or not. We'll do yes. it. Yes. <laughs> and, of course, you guys know that this this podcast is still all about wellness. Absolutely. Your surroundings, where you live, that's all about your wellness, your well-being. So everything that we do still um, at the base of it, we are still dealing with with wellness being a better a better whole person in your finances your health your spirituality whatever we just want you to be on this journey of happiness and just being better each and every single day so let us know what you think uh positive or critical feedback is always important we take anything like that constructive criticism that's <laughs> that's absolutely that's a good thing too that's so we want to hear from you guys either way just uh Keep it clean because your girl does have a good snapback. So <laughs> just kidding. But anyway, thank you guys so much for thank listening. You, thank you, thank you, thank thank you. you guys for your time. It just is always such a pleasure. So as always I always say each and every week, until next week, do something to make yourself happy. It's not selfish. It's self-care. And I'm going to add a shameless plug. One thing that you should do for yourself is check out our dude here. <laughs> business who is expanding and growing oh my and God. now his indigenous protocol line is actually going to be in a brick and mortar location yes, so yes. congratulations God's to you plan. on that growth. thank you so Yay. much thank you so much God's plan <laughs> right so do yourself a favor and get your hands on this hot hot indigenous protocol merch as well so take <laughs> care you. you guys bye bye <laughs>